0: Matthew one twenty two and 23, quoting Isaiah chapter 7. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Um, the word you hear about around Christmas sometimes is the incarnation. I spoke to you about that when we took communion at the beginning of the month. Incarnation means that God took on flesh. If you know... Spanish or Latin, you know that carne is meat. God became meat. He became human. He became flesh. And He dwelt with us. He lived with us. I want to talk to you this morning about the Incarnation. Last Christmas at this time, I talked to you about Jesus' deity, the fact that He was 100% God as He walked the earth. This morning, I want to talk to you about His humanity, that He is 100% human. At the same time, as he walked the earth, he was God with us. He was human. So John 1, John one fourteen says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is one of John's names for Jesus. The Word became flesh. We just sang that in the Christmas carol. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. The word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and he lived with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God, but he is fully human. First Timothy 3.16, Paul acknowledges the great mystery of this. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. The New King James says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You can't argue Christianity is extremely mysterious that Jesus can be human and God at the same time. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity. Another other translation says the entire Godhead. He lives in, lives in bodily form, in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. He was completely divine and completely human at the same time. Yeah. Philippians 2, 6-11. to 11, Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or meaning held on to, but he gave it up. But he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a bondservant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was God, but he gave it all up to become human, to live with us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that Jesus is the man. He is, he is God, but he is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is fully human in every sense. In every sense, he is a man. He called himself the son of man more times in the gospel than I care to go back and count. I I don't know if it's a hundred times, but maybe so. Um, He called himself the son of man or the son of humanity uh, to make sure that we knew that he is fully human. Matthew 1, he's called the son of Abraham. Matthew also refers to him as the son of David. And he's called in Mark 6, the son of Mary. He's never called the son of Joseph. Matthew says, as was supposed, he was the son of Joseph, because publicly people thought that, but he was the son of Mary. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's prophecy in Genesis 3 to Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head. It's significant, and many, many preachers and Bible commentators have have noted that God says to Eve, not to Adam, your seed will crush his head. Jesus is completely, genetically, physically human. Or else he isn't the son of Abraham and the son of David and the son of Mary and the son of Eve. God did not create Jesus' body in Mary's womb. Our Mormon friends and neighbors will say that Jesus existed as a spirit created equal to Michael and Lucifer. But he was just a spirit, and then he became human, and then he became God. He is God from before the foundation of the world. He was with the Father. It said, John 1 says that nothing was created except by Jesus. And in the garden when Jesus prayed, he said, Father, give them the glory that you and I shared before the foundation of the world. Jesus is eternal, uncreated. He is uncreated, but he was fathered in Mary's womb. He's genetically Mary's son. God did not cheat by just creating an embryo in Mary's womb. He is the son of Mary, the genetic descendant of David and Abraham and Eve. Acts 2.22 says he's the man approved of by God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says the man, Christ Jesus, and in John 19.5 he's just the man. He is completely and fully human in every way. He was conceived and born as a baby. Matthew 1, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive. Just like every other mother has conceived. I don't mean to say there was intercourse, but God did not create Jesus' body in Mary's womb. He fathered Jesus. He fathered a son with Mary's egg. He's genetically human. He was conceived and born as a baby, just like all the rest of us. He grew and he learned in Mount Luke chapter 2. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. John 4, he was tired. He was exhausted all the time. God doesn't get tired. He took on flesh and he took on all of it. And Luke 4, he's so tired that he's sleeping through a storm in a boat where the professional fishermen disciples think they're going to die. These guys wouldn't be scared by even a big storm. This is like a hurricane or something. And he's so exhausted from preaching and healing all day that he's sleeping through it. I mean, that's exhaustion. And he's thirsty on the cross, John 19. And he's hungry. In Matthew 4, he asks for food. And Luke 23 Uh, The entire Gospel of Luke has the most medical and physical description of the crucifixion because Luke's the doctor that we have uh, some medical things included that the other Gospels don't. But in Luke 23, he makes it very clear that he physically died. So, Jesus is completely human. He is a man. And he took on all of that weakness and flesh And not just our physical limitations in our body, but in our mind. He became human and he limited himself to a human mind. And time. And all of the patience that that would require of a God who exists outside of time to exist in time. There's, there's more to it than just putting on skin and bones. He limited himself in his, in his knowledge. He had to grow and learn like every other kid. And everything he did, including all the miracles, were by faith in God and the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was tempted in every single way. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That verse is a true statement to every single person that has ever lived in world history. That Jesus Christ was tempted just like us so that means that on judgment day when we all stand before him there is literally no one who can say to Jesus you don't understand how bad I was tempted which means the grossest pervert cannot say I was driven to it Worse than you were, Jesus. He was tempted in the grossest ways, stronger than anyone else ever. And he did not sin. There's no alcoholic. There's no pedophile. There's no murderer. There's no nobody that can say, I felt it stronger than you did, Jesus. And I just, I I had to give in. It's like, no, I felt it worse than you did and I didn't give in. There's nobody whose depression was stronger than Jesus' depression. I don't mean he went around depressed. I mean, he kicked its butt. There's nobody who can say, "Well, Jesus, you just didn't feel fear like I felt fear." No, He's the mo- he had to have been at, at some moment not, not continually, but at some moment He was more scared than any person has ever been. And he did not give in to it. He's been the saddest. He's had the strongest urges to do the most wicked things. No one can say, well, Jesus, you just don't understand. Because you're God, you're holy. And the Bible says God cannot be tempted to sin. But when he put on flesh, he put it all on. All of it. And when it says he made himself the lowest, that's really true. He's tempted in ways that you and I cannot even imagine what he underwent in his private spiritual moments. And he had victory over all of it. So he can empathize with us he sympathizes with our weaknesses but he can empathize with us saying yeah I know how it feels but I also know that that you can win yet he was without sin it follows with the most amazing sentence that he understands how weak we are but he did not ever fail in any of his tests And since he did not fail, since he was perfect, that means we can boldly go to the throne of God to obtain the mercy that we need. That does does not logically follow. The Latin term in debate class is non sequitur. It does not follow that because he was perfect, that that means we can go get mercy because we're not. It means he was perfect, so we should live up to that. If Jesus can do it, you can suck it up and do it too. Or at least he's perfect, so we ought to be scared and uh, cringy when we go before the throne of grace. And you all know that when you need mercy, it's the, the last thing you feel is bold. To go and ask forgiveness. Shame and condemnation and humiliation might be the words there. Dig a trench through the throne room with my nose. God, I'm sorry. I'm an absolute idiot. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Please forgive me. No. Come boldly. March right in. When we need mercy is not the time when we feel bold to go get it. If you feel bold to go before God, you're probably clueless about how much you need His mercy, actually. But there it is. There it is. Let us approach the throne with confidence. New King James is boldly approach the throne of grace so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When Jesus became a man, He became a completely, fully human. He did not hold even 2% of his divinity and fudge it a little bit. There is no one who will be able to say, Well, Jesus, you were God, so you're different. Well, he is different. (laughs) But he understands because he was fully human. At the time, he was fully God. 1 Peter 2.12, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And 1 John 3.5, he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So when he, 2,000 years ago, was physically walking on earth, he was God on earth. But when he took on flesh, he is still in the flesh. He was God on earth. Now he is a man in heaven. He is still human forever. Emmanuel, forever. He is still a human. When he came back from the grave, he wasn't something other than human. Come on. His scars and his wounds remained. The body that was on the cross, the body that was put in the ground, is the body that got out of the ground. Hello? He still had his holes in his hands and his side and his feet. He still had the scars on his back. When he appeared in Luke 24 to the disciples and they think they're seeing a ghost, he says, hey, touch me, handle me, feel me. Does, he said specifically, does a ghost have flesh and blood like I do? He's still flesh and blood after the resurrection. Now that body had some powers to just like appear and disappear and you know walk through walls and whatever, but, but he's flesh and blood and he says so. And the disciples handle him. It was the same body after the grave that was born in the stable. He took on that body and he still has it today because that's the body that ascended to heaven. In Luke 24, he eats food to prove that he's not a ghost, that he's actually physically flesh and blood. And then when he ascends into heaven... And the angels appear. The disciples are all looking for him to come right back. And the angels appear. It's Acts 1-11, They say he's gone, but he will appear just as he left, including his body. Because when John sees him thirty some years later, in what we know as the Book of Revelation, John sees him and he says, "I saw a man." The man walking among the seven lampstands, a man holding seven stars in his hand. I saw a man on a white horse. I saw a man on the throne. This will really trip you up. Ezekiel saw a man on the throne. Six, seven hundred years before Jesus took on flesh, Ezekiel saw the throne of God and he said, there's a man on the throne. I don't even, I don't even have time to go into that. <laughs> Acts 7.56 He's called the Son of Man on high. Hello? The Son of Man. He is permanently human. He took on flesh and he didn't put it off. He's still a man. Whatever he is, is what we will be. When we see him, we will be like him. That's scripture. When we see him, we will be like him. Whatever he was after the resurrection is what we will be. Revelation 1.13, John says, I saw a man. He's exalted, he's glorified, he's on the throne of heaven, but but he's human. He never won't be human. He'll live eternally as God with us. That's amazing. It's amazing humility, it's amazing love, it's astounding. And he is... Still with us as a man. Now he's omniscient and omnipotent. He's he's God. He's divine. That'll uh, give you some some hints of what we will be after the resurrection. But but he's still he's still a man, and he's still with us. You know the verse about um, be quick to be hospitable with strangers because you might be taking care of angels and not know it. Ten years ago, 2008 or nine, there was a church in Malaysia that uh, was one of the elder usher greeters at the door, looks out the door onto the street and there is a homeless man bent over a bench and the back end of his pants are ripped out, you can see his naked bum and it said he was filthy and he was bent over, he was obviously in great pain, just a really pitiful sight so they went out and asked him if they could take care of him and He was cold and dirty and so they brought him into the church and they had apparently had some like a food bank and clothing bank and whatever there because they had clothes to give him and they gave him some pants that weren't ripped out in the back and they took him into the men's room and he was stripping down, pulled his shirt off and one of the elders said his back was all scarred up and there was an open wound in his side that was oozing and They tried to clean that up for him, but he wouldn't let them touch it. They gave him a shirt. First, they gave him a a black shirt, and he said, I don't ever wear black. And then they they tried to give him a T-shirt that had some brand name on it. He said, I I don't wear branded clothing. And they gave him a, a red shirt, and he was happy to wear red. They offered him some coffee, and he said, no, I only drink water. And so they gave him water, and then they brought him into the service, and they said it took him quite a while of being in service to warm up and even be able to stand up straight. But they said the longer the worship went on, the stronger he got, and the straighter he stood up, and eventually he was standing in service with his arms up, and he was worshiping, and he was praising the Lord. And after service, with his cleaner clothes on and all he had had was water, he he went outside and sat back on the bench where they'd originally seen him And these Five or six uh, usher elder men in the church who were taking care of him said that he sat down and he started weeping, and he said, I saw my wife and kids today, and nobody knew what that meant. Um, what, what is he talking about? And they all ended up, at, I don't know how long all this happened, but they all ended up back in the building, and he was still on the bench, and they said when they turned around from the door, the bench was empty, and there was, there was no man around on the street. The pastor in the church knew nothing of any of that because it's a large enough church that you know lots of stuff's going on that he's not involved with. And that night the pastor has a dream where Jesus appeared to him in his dream. And Jesus in his dream says, I came to your church today. I can't prove it or disprove it, that's their testimony. He is still a man. And he is still, as Isaiah said, bearing our sorrows and carrying our sicknesses, and he is still doing what he always did. From the throne of heaven, in the spirit, he is still doing what he always did, washing feet, being the bond servant. Even though he is the king of kings and lord of lords, he still comes in the form of the homeless man with the bare bum. When he comes to see his wife and children. It's the church. If you had not figured that part out yet. Since he is the only sinless man. Since he did reveal God to us. Since he is the only one qualified to be our savior. Then we all have. A decision to make and I know that many of you already have maybe some of you have not he came as God with us he came to be God as a man but he said I am the only way to the father anyone who comes to God must come by me There are not multiple paths. All religions are not equal, not all just different paths to the same truth. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He was also fully human. And He knows our weaknesses and our failings and our temptations and what it means to live in ignorance where we don't know everything like God. And we don't live in outside of time where we know everything all at once and we can see the big picture and he knows all of that and he sympathizes with our weaknesses, but he did not sin and we did. We need saved, we need forgiven, we need washed clean and he is the only one who can do it. John 1 John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There is no other name given under heaven to us by which we must be saved. He does have the authority to forgive, and he has the power to set us free from the things that bind us. I invite you this morning to make him your Lord and Savior to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was divine and human at the same time. He was the man who was God, and he is the God who became a man. I invite you to say yes, to make him your Lord and Savior, to believe that the story is true, that the promise is true. He is the only one who can save. He is our only hope. He's the only man who was perfect. And out of all the other gods, he's the only God who came to be with us. All the other gods sit on high and say, you get perfect and come up here. Jesus Christ is God who came down. Amen.